We see here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we pick back up in verse 8 where we left off, and we'll take 8 through 12 today of the first chapter of 2 Timothy. Now, I love a verse, I'm going to, before I get started, I, I love a verse that is just, if you've been hearing from me for quite some time, the, the theme around you are loved uh, by the love of Christ, is Jeremiah 31.3. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. And God draws you to him. Don't fight him. Allow him to draw you. Draw close to him and he'll draw close to you, the scripture says. And what a, what a, a time of these days we live in that we sense his holding and, and catering of uh, you into his arms, his loving arms and loving hands. So if you find yourself struggling today uh, of regarding love, just know you are loved by the love of Christ. Now I say that because we have a dear brother named Paul. Freedom was his at one point because he was in prison in a Roman jail and he was freed and he had some freedom for a very short period of time before they snatched him back up and thrown him back into jail and took him to Rome and thrown him in jail to wait a trial and then he came to the realization that God obviously revealed to him that he would also be executed and would die there in Rome. But even through that time, God loved Paul and God used Paul for the, his kingdom. And there we find that God arranged for Paul, even in this terrible dungeon in Rome, was able to write this second letter to another man named Timothy, young Pastor Timothy. Paul's protege raised up and discipled up into the ministry. And his love, that Paul's love that he had for his beloved son in the faith. Such love that God gave to Paul for Timothy. Such love that God gave to Timothy for Paul. And we find that Paul wanted to encourage his young son in the faith to stay focused on his faithfulness in the ministry in these difficult times. To encourage him to remain strong in the Lord. And we will see that not only here in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, but we will also see it in chapter 2 that Paul continues to encourage Timothy to remain strong in the Lord. Today we're going to see, he's going to encourage him not to be ashamed. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed of Paul himself finding himself in prison. And we will see the good news, the gospel, and not to be ashamed of that as he goes about faithfully doing what God's called him to do in the ministry. And we see, we, he picks right up here, and which revealing God's given power to him to do the work of the ministry. And the very first point here, God gives us power to do what God's called us to do. And Paul says this clearly to Timothy, young Timothy here. He says in verse 8 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony 
of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God. Now the the word therefore refers back to what he had just written to Timothy. That is a reference of why he's saying this here. Because Paul had just told Timothy about the spirit of power and love and a sound mind that God gives you to do what God's called you to do. And with the spirit of boldness or the courage that God will give you to do this, it is the very birthright of every believer in Jesus Christ. It's your birthright as a child of God that you have boldness, spiritual boldness, courage to do what God's called you to do. Now here Paul tells Timothy how to let what God gave him guide his thinking day by day as he continues to do the work in the ministry. To do the work that God's called him to do for God's kingdom. So Paul says, this is what you need to do, young man. But let me tell you not just what to do, but let me show you how to do it. How to think biblically or how to think godly and to do the things that God's called you to do day by day as you go about your life. And we see here right up front, he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Timothy, if you hold on to the spiritual boldness that I've given you, if you hold on to the courage that I have given you, Timothy... That God gave you this courage. Don't forget that, Timothy. That he would not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. We often fail to understand that it wasn't easy to follow a crucified master that they shared with other people. Now think about that. Now who's your God? Well, I follow a crucified master. Can you imagine that message that you were trying to share in those days? Let alone share it today. You follow a crucified master? Are you kidding? What What does that mean? People think you're crazy. But today we have sanitized Jesus to such an effect. We have disinfected him at the cross. Making it all safe, just Follow Jesus and all be good and health and wealth and, and, and you'll just never be sick. And we just desanitize the cross. We're sitting there saying you just sanitize Jesus. Your life will just be perfect if you come to Jesus. That was not the message. And it's still not the message today. And, but how many people teach that or try to, I just want them so saved, so I'm going to just tell them, your life will be all better if you just give your life to Jesus. It will be because you'll be forgiven and you'll have eternal life. That, that is true. But in the day Paul wrote this, it would seem very strange indeed to follow a crucified man and call him Savior. Your Savior, the one that's going to save you, has been crucified. That doesn't make sense to me. What do you mean you're sharing that with me? Think of Jesus' teaching. If you want to be great, you want to be great in my kingdom? Be a servant of all. Be a slave of all. 
Be like a child. Be like the younger that has nothing to, to their name. Everyone who is older got everything to their name. You get nothing. You're going to be last, never first. That's what it means to be saved. That, would you like to sign up for that? But that's the message that Jesus gave everyone and gives us today. This is the testimony some would be ashamed of. I'm ashamed to follow Jesus. I don't want to be the, the, a slave or the younger or the least, the servant of all. Be like a child and, and everyone rules, kind of rules over me. That's what people think. And many people will be ashamed of that kind of testimony of our Lord. Paul knew that the pain, the plan of God in Jesus Christ seemed foolish to many. But he also knew it was the living and active and power of God to save souls and transform lives. Paul would not be ashamed of the gospel. Paul would not be shamed of the testimony of our Lord. And neither should Timothy or us today be ashamed of God's testimony for our lives. He has changed your soul. Transformed your life. He has given you the promise of eternal life. Why would you be ashamed of following Jesus? and the testimony of our Lord. We also see, he says, nor of me his prisoner. So if Timothy took the spiritual boldness, that courage that God had given him, he would not be ashamed of Paul the prisoner. It wasn't easy, not only it wasn't not easy to follow a crucified master, it wasn't easy to support an imprisoned apostle. So your life is dedicated to what? Can you explain this to me? Well, I follow and give my entire life to a crucified master. Really? Where is he? Well, he's not here. Well, then who do you, who do you, kind of, who do you follow? Who, 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 do you, who do you hang with here? Oh, an imprisoned apostle. Can you imagine the message that you have trying to get it across to other people? So follow us. Because we're following a crucified master. Many will say, I'm ashamed to even do that. Not Paul. Not Timothy. Nor shall we. Not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. How important it is. Because here, Paul has really considered himself a prisoner of Jesus. He says, nor of me his prisoner. Paul himself saw himself not as a prisoner of Rome, but as a prisoner of God. Paul saw God as the Lord of every circumstance of his life. When he was a free, he was the Lord's free man. When he was in prison, he is now the Lord's prisoner. Every circumstance he finds himself in, really good or really low, 
It's because he knew the Lord was in control of his life and he allowed that to happen for God's purpose and glory. He didn't complain being in the prison again. He wasn't grumbling and complaining and because he knew he was about to die while he was writing this letter for the last time for his, his beloved son. It did not sway him and he was never ashamed of the gospel. But not only do you get this, look at this verse. Paul says, don't be ashamed, Timothy, of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me being a prisoner. Matter of fact, I'm calling you to share in this same life with me. I want to share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God. Can you imagine? That's the, that's the message you're giving to people. Don't, don't, do not be ashamed of the, God, the testimony of the Lord that he says you're going to live a certain way according to the scripture. You're going to have to change. The life is going to have to change. And you might actually associate with people who have to go to prison for their faith. And you might be one of those prisoners that will be sent to jail for your faith. As a pastor, you have a great likelihood these days to go to jail. But then I turn around and say, come follow. Be, be with me. Join me. Share with me in the potential challenges ahead of us. I, trust me. If I'm going to jail, I'd rather have one of you with me, guys, in the jail with me. You know what I'm saying? We would have a great time. Be Paul and Silas. We'd be worshiping the Lord. Great prison ministry. We've always wanted to start one here. Just never thought we would be the inside of the prison ministry to do it. But it was real then, and it's, it is real today. Our dear brother in San Jose was very close to him and his past, his assistant pastor were moments away from going to jail because they chose to keep the church open during this period of time. But Paul told Timothy not to be ashamed of him and his chains that he finds himself in this Roman prison, but he invited Timothy to share in all of it. Share in the sufferings. Just the same way I've been suffering. You've seen my life and all the sufferings I've been going through. Come, join me. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Did you know that's what it means when you find a brother or sister who's weeping because of the situation they find themselves in? Will you share in that moment with them? Will you weep when they weep? Will you rejoice when they rejoice? That's, mean, that's what it means to share. To share in the sufferings of the gospel. Or for the gospel. And we identify with our suffering brother across the world with, through prayer. We see what's going on with our brothers and sisters who are being tortured overseas. We see the de devastation of their homes being burnt because of their faith in Jesus Christ. We see their churches being utterly destroyed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. 
You see their loved ones snatched off the streets by the government because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And we share in their sufferings by, through prayer and through the supplication, through the heart of concern and through wise action in regards to supporting them. That's how we share in the sufferings. Not according to your own wisdom and own power, but Paul says, according to the power of God. Paul actually suffered according to the power of God. The power of God is always there. Always there. But it's not always there to remove the difficulties in your life. Sometimes that power is given to you to see you through the difficulty that God has given you. Or allowed to, for you to get into. He never promises you to take you out of the valley, the dark valley. He just promises you to walk you through the valley. By the power of God. How many times do you and I find ourselves in some very difficult situations and all we can do is cry out, please get me out of here. Don't let this happen. Our minds should then understand one truth today, I hope. The power of God is with you. Our prayer should be, God, help me walk through this difficulty that you've allowed by faith. I trust you with every ounce of my being. That is our, should be our prayer. And help me to learn what it is that you want me to learn through this. Because you would never have allowed it to my life unless it was for my, for my good. Why? Because you're a good, good father. Are you with me? I know that's not easy. But as you grow and mature in your understanding of who God is, you will see and be revealed. I know all of you have testimonies. First of all, if you're saved, you should have the testimony of the fact that you're saved. The power of God changed you. Can you believe it? I know. I'm shocked too. But it's by the grace of God. And Paul talks about the grace of God as well as we continue in the thing. But one sense, it's kind of strange for Paul the prisoner to write about the power of God. Because the power of Rome had him by the, the wrist and the ankles. <laughs> they had all the power over this man's body. God's power had, didn't, wasn't showing up at all, it appeared. That the government seemed to have all the power and there's nothing you can do. You're just, you were just at the mercy of the government. That's what it appeared to for Paul's life. It seemed to be very real that Rome had all the power over this man's life. But God's power has been vindicated by history. The Roman Empire is gone. But the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul lived for and was imprisoned because of was still preached and is lived out today throughout the world. An entire nation God just took right out. But not the gospel of Jesus Christ. By nature, 
None of us enjoys suffering. If you do, we should probably talk. You <laughs> we should need to help you through some things in your life. None of us enjoys suffering. Even our Lord prayed in Luke twenty-two forty-two. He said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Paul prayed this kind of the same prayer, did he not? Paul prayed three times for God to remove his painful thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. God, please take this physical problem away from me, please. I'm sure it was probably even more passionate than that when he was crying out three times. But what did, he say, what did God say to him? My grace is sufficient. My power is sufficient to walk you through this. But suffering may well be a part of a faithful Christian life. Christians should not suffer because of doing wrong. You shouldn't go out there and do something wrong and then you have to suffer from the consequences and say, Oh God, I shouldn't be suffering. No, you, you did some things that causes the suffering upon you. So don't be, don't be trying to blame God on this thing. Go back and you can certainly read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. And 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, that's some good verses to, to chew on today for that. But rather, they're sometimes suffer because they have done right and was serving God and they were living their life and just it was pleasing to God and suffering still happened. And when we suffer for doing good, then we are sharing in Christ's suffering, Philippians 3.10. And suffering on behalf of the whole church, first, uh, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Go back and meditate on those verses because it will help you when you're sitting there going, I've been doing, following the Lord and everything's going great and I don't know why is this happening. Because you're sharing in Christ's sufferings. You're suffering on behalf of the whole church. Now we see the fact that God gives us power. But we see here, he goes on in verses 9 and 10, the fact that God has called us by grace. We see here, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. We can spend all the rest of the today just meditating on verse 9. Paul says, who has saved us and called us. We have come to God as a response to his call in our lives. He has called you. As you were living your life, just wandering around, doing your own thing, fulfilling all your desires of your own flesh, God called you. He called you. We didn't initiate the search. We did not find God. He found us. 
And as he found us, he's given you an opportunity to respond to his love for you. And then he says to you, follow me. And then we have free will to make a choice. Will we choose to follow God or follow ourselves? We must respond to his holy calling, Paul says here. To respond to his holy calling when, he, we sense, when we sense him knocking at the door of our heart, we are to respond. Not according, he, Paul says, to our works. This is not a works mentality here. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. And that explains why God called us. God has a purpose for your life and he's calling you to do what he's called. He's going to show you what it is he wants you to do for him. The question is, will you respond to his calling? And will you be obedient to do what he's called you to do when he shows you? You're just, we're just in a response to the love that he has for us. It wasn't anything great we were, and that's why he called you. Oh, he was really good. Oh, he's, he's really smart. He's highly intelligent. Do you see the accomplishments? Do you see the letters and all the degrees and everything? No wonder God picked him. No, that's not it. He'll actually select the foolish just to confound those wise people. How did they get to be able to do what they did? <laughs> By the power of God. So it's not because you have something to offer or anything great you have done. It's because it is fit in for his purpose. Because he wanted to do this in and through your life. He created you for his purpose. For you to worship him and to, to be an, just to be available for him to do what God's called you to do. And you get blessed for it. By the grace, he says to Timothy, by grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Yes, God knew you before and created you in understanding of who you are and what he was going to do with your life before life even began. God directed his gracious works toward us when we only existed as a fact in God's knowledge. Fact. Corey will be created. Be born right there. I can, I can know exactly who will be born through his parents. And I know exactly where it's going to be. God knew it all. Planned it all. It was a fact in his knowledge. Just like a couple lovingly plans for a baby before the baby is born, so God planned for you before you were born. Are you with me? God has a plan for your life. Before time began, reminds us that time is something God created to give order and arrangement to our present, our present world, our present reality. 
Time is not essential to God's existence. God does not need time. He doesn't deal with it. He lives in no time. He only did it for your sake and for my sake. He existed before time was created and will remain when time is ended and we will live on in eternity with him with no time. Oh, I can't wait. The watches are gone. I love it. Not only did God have the power, but God has called us by his grace. But we also, in verse 10, see God has defeated death. Look at that. Paul says, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death. Removed death and he filled it up with what? And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So many people, why do you keep talking about the gospel? I'm telling you, verse 10 would tell you why I always talk about the gospel. He's overcome death. And he has given eternal life and immortality. What else would you think is more important? Paul says, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our, Lord, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The appearing of Jesus revealed the purpose and the grace of God. Jesus literally fulfilled the eternal plan of salvation for you and for me. The eternal plan from God was fulfilled right there. Jesus himself shows us what God and is his plan are all about for mankind. That's why you can never know Jesus too much. Oh, I know about Jesus. Oh, just the fact that you even said it in that way tells me you do not know Jesus. Do you desire to go deeper in your relationship of knowing who Jesus is? I hope and pray today, if you haven't, today's a day you will change and desire to go deeper with your Lord. To the depths that you've never been. Of understanding that he is who has abolished death because of the appearing of Jesus. Death isn't death anymore. Did you realize that? In regards to you as a believer, death is no longer death. It's called sleep, not because you're a sluggard. It's because it is pleasant and peaceful in that state. There's no torment. You're at complete rest and peace. Death does, death does not take anything from the Christian. It guarantees you and I glory. So the question always is, is what are you afraid of? If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're a child of God and you know your Savior. What are you afraid of? Suffering? Are you afraid of suffering? Are you afraid of possible death? Paul himself was facing death as he dictated this letter. But you must understand what the scripture says. 
Jesus Christ had defeated our last enemy called death. Death was our enemy and no longer because it was taken care of by our Lord and Savior. And it was by his own death and resurrection, Christ has abolished death. It made it inoperable. It took out the sting of what it means to die. Because we don't die, we sleep. We are going to then be in the presence of God absent from this body. We see that in 1 Corinthians 15.55. Oh death, where is your sting? Oh Hades, where is your victory? Not only has he conquered death, but he brought life when we had no life. Yes, you're functioning. I got it. Your body was functioning. Your mind was functioning for some of you. But, but you came to a point where you realized you had no life. Is there all there is to life is this? Apart from Christ, you had no life. But brought life for you. Eternal life, a promise of eternal life, and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel being that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross and resurrected on the third day, and he lives and ascended into heaven, and he lives and intercedes for you. And he wants to, the Father's drawing you to him, and he's knocking at your door, and he wants that personal, in, that deep relationship with you because he has a plan for you and will empower you to do it. For his glory. And it's because of the appearing of Jesus we know more about life and immortality than ever before. The understanding of the afterlife was very murky if you just read the Old Testament. Kind of wasn't clear what would happen after you died. At best, the Old Testament, all it can do is give you a kind of a glimpse of potential, a shadow of what it would be like once you die. But when Jesus came onto the scene, Jesus let us know more about heaven and hell than anyone else could ever do. Jesus brought the truth about the immortal state to life through his own resurrection. He showed us with his own immortal body what it would be like for you and I. And he also assured us of something very, actually very true and accurate and reassuring for us. That we would be in fact have an immortal body. That makes Jesus... (laughs) More, a more reliable spokesperson regarding the world beyond, the world beyond, the, what happens after this world than anyone who says they died and saw heaven and came back could ever claim. Jesus already gave us everything we needed to know about what would happen after we died. And it's through the gospel the good news of who Jesus is and what he did for us in this this moment of, of God's work in and through people's lives. And it started with his life. But always the question, sometimes I get from people who are searching, 
Why did Jesus do that? Why would he die for me? I don't even know who he is, and I have no desire to know what he, who he is. So why would he die for me? I didn't ask him to die for me. Because you are loved. Regardless, you want to be loved, or feel like you should be loved. Or how could anyone love me because I don't love anybody? That doesn't change the fact, my brothers and sisters, that you are loved. That he created you before time began for a plan and a purpose according to God. It doesn't change just because that's how you feel. God's plan of salvation began for us in the eternal past, before time began, Paul says here. And it continued with the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The opportunity to have life. And he came to us when he saved us and called us. And it continues as we live our holy calling according to God's purpose. And it will one day show itself in immortality, eternal life that God will give you. You want to know your life? That is what God said was the purpose from right from the beginning. Before you, the baby, you were created in your mother's womb. That's why I always tell new parents. Don't forget that child that's in your womb is God's. And he created and knew exactly that baby would be in your womb and has a plan and a purpose that God has for that baby. Your job as a parent is what? Train them up to know God so that they can hear what God's plan is for their life. It's his baby. You're his. And you're loved. So once you get that set According to what the scripture says, it's amazing how beautiful and wonderful and pressure is released a little bit as a parent trying to raise this child up. Because how many times, oh, Kathleen and I cried out, Lord, you know this is your child you've given us. Give us wisdom because we have no idea what to do next. And he always showed us. And when we consider the greatness of this message... It is no wonder Paul called the gospel good news. It is good news that God thought of you and loved you before even time existed. It's good news that God came to perfectly show us who God is. It's good news that he called us and saved us. It's good news that he gave us a holy calling for a purpose in this life. And it's good news that he shows us and gives us eternal life. It's good news. You and I are loved. And then Paul continues here, and we'll complete here in verses 11 and 12. Paul was called by God. We see this right here. To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. 
for I know whom I have believed. Did you notice that? Let me read that again. If you haven't underlined this and circled this in your Bible, let me highlight it for you. I know whom, who, I have believed. Not what, but who. I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. And in your Bibles, the word day should be capitalized. It's the return of Jesus for you. Now we see here Paul emphasizes the point. God knew me before I was born. God knew me what I was going to do when I was born. God knew of all the mistakes and issues and problems in my life. Matter of fact, Paul was killing Christians and throwing them in jail. But God had a purpose and a plan for Paul's life to do what? To be the great evangelist. Look what God did through this man's life who persecuted Christians and persecuted Jesus himself. Why, Paul, why do you persecute me so? He was kicked off his high horse, do you remember? On the road to Damascus? His prideful, high and mighty light that he thinks he was living? Paul said, oh no, that is not what I have for you. It's not what I, it's not what I created you for before time began, Paul. It's time to change. And when he did change Paul on that road to Damascus, God said, now, Paul, this is what I have for you. You're going to be a preacher of the gospel. You are going to be an apostle. You're going to sit there, Paul, and you're going to sit there. And can you imagine as he's writing these letters that Paul in the prison there, that Paul is reflecting on his life? Many people reflect on their life when they know they're about to die. Do you know that? Some have tremendous guilt and shame of what they did with their life. Not Paul. Paul was not ashamed. He's sitting there in his mind writing this and he remembers all the sermons he preached as a preacher. He's sitting there and he's thinking of all the churches that he founded and led as an apostle. He's sitting there and the diverse nations he brought the, the knowledge of Jesus Christ and all the teaching he did to the Gentiles. He no doubt thanked Jesus as he considered each and everything that God called him to do. He was not ashamed. I am not ashamed of what I did with the life you've given me, God. Can we say the same thing? I'm not saying any condemnation whatsoever of what your past is. I'm saying... Where are you today with how you serve God? What your heart is for God? You and I at times think we're going to live because 
My 10-year plan says I'm going to live for at least 10 more years because I've got things to do and places to go and achievements. How foolish. We have no guarantee for tomorrow, let alone today. But how quickly we do that. But he says, I did exactly what God called me to do. Once he got a hold of my life and I surrendered my life to God, he made me a preacher, he made me an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. And for this reason, verse 12, I also suffer these things. I'm suffering and have been suffering and continue to suffer and I have not give up on the faithfulness to the ministry of what God's called me to do because regardless of how I felt. And this man had all the reasons to have feelings to walk away from the ministry. But he says, I'm going to suffer for my God because he suffered for me. And I will be faithful in the ministry. Timothy, be faithful in the ministry. Don't give up. Even if I die, Timothy, and I will die, Timothy, do not lose faith in what God's called you to do in this world. Why? Because he is coming back. Paul says, whom I believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep. Paul was confident. Not only was Paul was called by God, but Paul was absolute confidence in Christ. He was not ashamed one moment, one time. Why? Because he knew that Christ was faithful and would keep him all the way through into eternity. There was not a shadow of a doubt. Because he says, I know whom I believe and am persuaded. He put his trust completely in the Savior of the world. This explains why Paul was so bold in his work. Had such courage and empowered by God because he had completely surrendered his life and knew his life was in complete control by God. And how he could honor God through every circumstance he finds himself in. He would honor God that it might make others feel ashamed in some cases, but it would not change his perspective and his love for Christ and what Christ has done for him by the grace of God. Why? Because I know who I believe. He knew God, he trusted God, he served God, and no one and nothing would ever, circumstance would ever change that. We must know what we believe. We study the doctrines. We study the scripture, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. We need to know everything we can about God. And he's given us everything in the scriptures for, for life, we see. But it's even more important to know whom we believe. I've met many people who are very PhD level kind of smart. But their relationship with Jesus, I question if they even have a relationship with Jesus. All knowledge 
All intellect, but no relationship. I love studying the, the disciples. They had nothing. <laughs> They're just common man. Living life, trying to get by, and then Jesus called them to follow me. And they didn't get it right for the longest time. But they grew in their knowledge and understanding and the relationship with whom called, their, called them to follow. But when we know how great God is, and when God in his glory becomes the great fact of our lives, you too will experience the spiritual boldness, the courage that God is calling us to be. Remember, a sinner is saved because he believes in a person. You, you are saved because you believe in Jesus Christ, the Savior. That is by faith, and that's the only way you're saved. There is no other way. And that's why he says, I am persuaded. I am so moved that he is able to keep what I have committed to him. What did Paul commit to Jesus Christ, his Savior? Just ponder on it. This is the second reason why Paul was so bold in his ministry. Why he had such courage to continue in his ministry, in his life, is because he completely surrendered his life, his heart, to Jesus Christ, his Savior. That is why he had boldness. Not only the first, the fact that God called him and empowered him to do it by the grace of God, but he knew without a question that Paul gave Jesus his life and knew Jesus was fully able to keep it. That no one could snatch him out of the loving hands of his Savior. Nothing, no one could. He turned it over, his life, and God says, I've got you completely. Paul had totally deposited his soul to the care and the keeping of the Savior. And he had no doubt in his mind that Jesus Christ would faithfully guard his heart deposit for eternity. Have you completely given over your soul to Jesus Christ as your Savior? I've met some people that have chosen to surrender their entire soul over to the devil with no shame of turning away from that. It is the most grieving thing to see and watch. But the hope that I have when you're out there sharing the gospel, the good news with people, and you read the scriptures and you see Mary Magdalene 
filled with demon possession. Demons, not demon, but demons. And how God called her and saved her and freed her from that life. That's why I know for a fact God will go to great lengths to touch and call every single person. Why? Because we just read it. He created that person you think would never get saved. Don't forget he created them for salvation, for his purpose, and according to his plan. Don't give up on people. Keep sharing the gospel. And tell them the good news. Why? Because Paul says to him, I've committed my life. I know without a question, without a doubt, I am, he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Until that day. Now what did he have in mind when he said until that day? Did he have in mind either the day he would see Jesus or the day Jesus came for Paul? But Paul and Timothy had that awareness. I'm living each and every day because I know Jesus is coming back for me or I will see him. That precious day. The precious day that Paul's referring to also pertains to us here today. The degree of our commitment of our life. And all we are and have to Jesus and all the things and the degrees, everything, we just pouring out our lives to Jesus because he can keep our hearts, keeps our soul. He is coming back for us. The question is, are you ready for the day that God calls you home or the rapture takes place? Are you ready for that day? You must know that you're loved. And that Jesus is coming for you. You must know those two facts. And don't forget it each and every day of your life. In these difficult days we find ourselves in, brother and sister. It is important that we stand true to Christ and be willing to suffer for him and not be ashamed.